Whether it's riding with new people you met on the platform or just riding with old teammates, the people that Zwift connects you with push you harder than you could ever push yourself, let alone when it's just you on the trainer in your garage or pain cave. My next favorite part is the training. Training is a huge part of Zwift. There are literally hundreds of customizable training plans you can choose from. And every workout is an immersive experience that can take you from Zwift's world-class climbs to the streets of London, New York, or even to a new Japanese-inspired world. Those are just a few of the nine unique worlds you can explore. Many times, I find myself just riding around, checking out the sights and seeing new little Easter eggs they've hidden in the game. When I'm riding one of the UCI championship courses or in the jungle on the gravel roads or inside a volcano, hey, I'm just taking it all in. Time seems to fly by, but I can still manage to get a great workout in every time. If you want to compete in races that put your training to the test and see if you're headed in the right direction, you can. There's a new event starting every five minutes, including massive group rides, races for every category, and even time trials. Right now, you can join the funnest fast event series with training rides, races, and thousands of other riders from around the world to chase. It's really never been easier to find your fun training indoors. I love it. All you need to get started is a bike, a trainer, and the Zwift app. Get a free seven-day trial, no strings attached, at Zwift.com. Zwift, where fun is fast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bobby and Jens. My name is Bobby Julik, and on the other end of the Zoom link that we have going here, Mr. Jens Vogt. Jens, what's new at the zoo, brother? Well, rest day at the Tour de France, so also a rest day for me was my commentating for Eurosport. So I went to have a haircut and uh, did the lawn, you know, just taking care of a few things in the house. So a relaxed day and I really enjoyed it yeah um, I must say your haircut is looking uh, quite quite good uh, you know not to compliment you know another male uh, too too much but um, you're looking pretty tight there Yenzi I'm impressed uh, yeah I got to I had a pretty cool weekend actually I got to do another gravel race a gravel event and uh, I have to say um it is a heck of a lot of fun doing gravel. There's a lot of guys and a lot of gals out there just crushing it. And one of the most amazing things I thought of when I'm sitting there on the start line with, you know, 250, 300 some odd people from Southeast Gravel um, was everybody has a nice gravel bike. Everybody's got nice gravel wheels. I mean, this industry lucked out by just a few people deciding, hey, I want to do gravel. Now everyone wants to do it. And it's an excuse to sell another very expensive bicycle to somebody. But had a blast. It was great weather here. Um, got to watch the, uh, went out for a little ride yesterday and, you know, was listening to it on my, um, my speakers and then ran into the house and was able to watch the last 10K of Sepp Kuss winning 
um, for the first time in 10 years, a stage of the Tour de France for an American rider. So pretty, pretty fun weekend. And then, yeah, I have to say, you know, did pay attention to the Euros, the, the final championship between Italy and uh, England. And um, I just want to offer my condolences to all the English fans out there. Um, that was a hard one to take. Hard one to take. You know, those penalty kicks are, uh, are tough. Okay, so enough of that. We have quite a special guest today. This all came together basically overnight through the, through the miracle of Instagram and du- direct messages. Michael Markoff is the name that everyone's talking about that's the difference maker for Mark Cavendish in the sprints. Jens and I have known him for quite a long time because he turned pro for our CSC team back in 2009. And he came off the the track and you knew right away that this kid was smart. And I have to admit, even as a rider development manager working with him at Team Saxo Bank and then on another team a couple years later, we never really looked at him as a sprinter or as, you know, like that real lead out guy. But Jens, I mean, it's amazing how Michael has transformed himself into the best lead out man on the planet. I mean, what are some of your first memories about Michael Markov? Young kid from Denmark. He was quiet, a little shy, and he had a track background. So you think, yeah, he is fast, but you know, where, where would we use him? You know, we, totally, we, we focusing on a Tour de France. We need people they going to be good in the climbs. So I figured, where could we use him best? But he was a really nice young kid. And yeah, really shy and humble. But soon we learned. He's a hardworking kid. He's a good rider. And we had some really good, happy years together. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. He he was a very hard worker. He is a very hard worker. And I, I uh, actually coached him a little bit um, over the years. And what I, what I was so impressed with was his durability. He would go straight from the road program into the six-day program, into our winter training camp, back into the six-day program, back in, you know, and then start the classics. Like he just never seemed like he needed that much time off. And uh, to see him rise to where he is now in the sport of cycling, it could not have happened to a a better person. So please sit back and enjoy our interview with Michael Marco. Well, as you all know, the Tour de France is on its second rest day. we got one more week of this amazing race. And, you know, we don't do the stage-by-stage race coverage, but we have a special treat for you today. We have the one and only Michael Marco. Michael, welcome to Bobby and Jens. Thanks a lot. I mean, it's uh, it's true my pleasure to be here together with two of my uh, former teammates, who two guys who welcomed me very well in a team when I was Neo Pro, so um, the honor is mine. I tell you, it is crazy. Um, you know, you're 36 years old now. Still got a little bit of hair there. You know, we're 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 right there with you. We're a little bit older, of course. 
But yeah, I remember picking you up at the airport down in Los Angeles when we had our training camp with uh, CSC Soxo Bank back in uh, 2009. And I tell you, watching you on TV and seeing your development as a rider, I know that it hasn't always been a straight line for you. You know, you, you, you've had your ups and downs, no doubt. But man, these last couple of years, Michael, and then especially this year in the tour, I mean, you are the man. You are the lead out man of the century and you're on our podcast. This is so awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me really and and thanks for the nice word. I'm 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 getting red in the face over here. No, but I mean honestly, I mean you have been world champion what three times now, right? Yeah. And on the track. Now you leading Kev to probably what looks like a record breaking 35, maybe 36 stages in the Tour de France. You right in there, right in history. And a large part of it is thanks to you. And I'm sure the whole team and Kev know about. It. I mean, the entire team is awesome. But you have this very, very precise final job in the last meter. So it's fantastic to see. And now let's start with the first question. Who do you think is more nervous, Kev or you? Because you both have a very important job and you both have only split seconds to decide if you go left or right, if you open the sprint or not yet. Uh, well, I think we're both uh, very nervous. Uh, I think it's probably pretty equal. But I think it's one of these uh, situations where you look at the other and you think, oh, he's probably more nervous than me. So I can stay a bit more calm, you know. So I'm certainly nervous because... As, as you say, uh, my position as, uh, as the last man for a sprinter, this is where you can do something fantastic like um, two days, three days ago. But it's also there in that position where you can really fuck it up. If you take the wrong move and you get boxed in, then it's, then it's my fault. So I really put my head on the line every time I'm there. But I also think... That is what is uh, so motivating and and so it's so, it's just so fat, fragile, really. You know, like the the difference between winning and losing. But the consistency and the way that you do it, Michael, is just mind-boggling. I mean, no matter who's on your wheel, if it's Kittle, if it's Sam Bennett, if it's Viviani, and now it's Cavendish, you know, you just seem to be that guy that makes all the right decisions. And I've kind of thought about it and knowing you as long as I've known, I'm interested. Do you think the way that you're able to float through the Peloton and make those decisions has something to do with your, uh, your background in track racing? Yeah, I definitely believe that I have a lot of good skills coming from this track. And, and I also believe that uh, a lot of that, you know, just knowing the way around in a bunch, uh, saving energy. I even remember when I rode with, on a team with Contador, he always prefers to sit behind me because he said he, he, he came so much easier through the stages. So I, I have a little bit of feeling that's the same for a sprinter. Um, but in my situation now as, as a lead out, I think I'm ended now in a situation where I'm, I'm highly respected by everyone, uh, sprinter uh, uh, especially. And then when a sprinter rides with me, he gives me from the first day 100% uh, confidence you know you see other teams where lead out is not working it's often because the sprinter doesn't trust in his lead out so on the last three four hundred meter he doubts and he he go in a different direction and leave the lead out man with no chance to help him so I have that advantage now that 
because I'm so promoted and I, I, I show that I was a quite sure card to play or bet on, um, they follow me. And But I don't think it's all about the following and experience. You've got to have a certain physical strength as well, right? Would you be able to share any watts you're going to push? Like when you start your job at 500 to 200 meters, how many watts do you push for? The, how many seconds is it? How many watts do you push for 10, for 20 seconds? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to drop any records here, but um, I think it's, it's all about timing and understanding uh, the opponents and understanding the race. Um, so sometimes my job can be uh, a 10 second uh, hard acceleration that could maybe be 1300. Um, sometimes it could be 20 seconds, a longer pull, which is would be average maybe 1100. But sometimes a lead out could also be even longer than that, could be 40 seconds, like floating on the side of the bunch just bringing your sprinter into a good position from where he can win sprint. So what he's saying is not every day or not a single day is the same like yesterday. It's always something new. You always got to adapt to the situation at hand. Absolutely. I think this is the key point in a sprint. You need to be able to adapt all the time. So you always hear and you speak with other riders in the peloton. What is the plan for the sprint? Everybody have their lineup. Certain rider have to go from mark 300 to 500 and from five to 700 but that just never happens you know you just need to be prepared for the for, uh, for the unknown and you just need to be able to adapt so quick you know maybe you lose a teammate maybe you get boxed in maybe you have to come from far and you plan to take it from the front so you just have to be super um fertile i would say and to be honest on the last k I prepare a lot uh, about uh, looking the parkour and my opponents, but on the last K, I really trust my instinct. Yeah, I mean, you, you've honed that instinct over years and years. But just to go back a little bit, I mean, here we are, you know, a month ago. Do you think that we would even be close to having this conversation that, hey, Mark Cavendish is doing the tour and Mark Cavendish is, has tied Eddie Merckx's record? So that's, that's happened. We know that's here. But take me back a little bit to when Cab came to the team. Um, you know, obviously you raced with him, you know, you raced against him. But what did you see different uh, in Mark Cavendish when he came back to your team or, as he put it, coming back to his, his team? What, what, What was different or what changed that allowed him to transform from where he was, which was not the best place, to where he is now, which is on top of the cycling world? Yeah, so let's take that back like two and a half years ago. Um, I was on Mallorca training with my brother and uh, Stenix Dierba, actually. And by coincidence, we, we meet Mark. He's also there training. He's on uh, riding with uh, Dimension Data. And... He's going really bad. He ha hardly can't follow us on the climbs and he want to have coffee stops and breaks. And he's just, you know, he have a hard time, you know. And he keeps telling me about like, oh, I tried for years to get you on my team. I wanted to you to, to be my lead out man. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, mate, you're done. You, you won your races, you know. And I remember he told me that He just need one Tour de France, just one Tour de France, then he'll beat the record. 
and I was sitting next to him. I think he's a lunatic, that guy. He's he's now telling me he just need one participation in the tour and he would beat Eddie Merck's record. You know, after being so far out of bunch sprint for years already. Um, and yeah, then he had a year with Bahrain. Uh, he he got into the team last winter. He he came, joined the team, was the most humble guy ever. I mean, people knew Cavendish from the past wouldn't have recognized him joining this team. I, I'm, I'm sure he was so humble down to earth. He he was crawling around the walls, you know, didn't say a word. Tr- tried to do some card tricks in the winter training camp just to get people like him a little bit, you know. But he was really. He, he was approaching it really well. Um, and obviously he he started with a small program. He was never supposed to do the tour. Um, and then, yeah, in the last moment, uh, Sam, he got injured. Um, we know all that uh, Fabio Jakobsen is still fighting his way back from his class last year in Tour of Poland. And there you go. Cavendish was right on the spot. He got the spot on the probably the best sprint team in the world at the Tour de France. When did you find out he's in the team? Like when he showed up at in, in at the start in Brest, or did you know one week before? <laughs> Because like it was a very very last minute decision, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it was like uh, we did two of Belgium uh, just coming up to the Tour de France, and um, Sam was there. I shared the room with him, and the night before he he got a knee pain on our uh, easy ride, so he he couldn't start the race. And obviously they tried to organize some of our Belgian riders because we were there in Belgium, starting to tour of Belgium. But Kev, he was desperate to get into this race because he know he was his chance. So he got a helicopter from UK, flying him over, arriving the day of the start, like two hours before the start, he was there and he started the tour of Belgium. And we kind of fucked up the first sprint with it. But the last sprint, the fifth stage, we, we did a pretty good lead out. And he won an amazing sprint in front of uh, guys like Caleb Ewan, Tim Malier, Groenewegen, Ackermann, you know, all the big names. And after seeing that sprint, I was like, I'm not sure he's done. How awesome is that, showing up in a helicopter? That's that's commitment, yeah. man. But that's Cav. That, that, I, I, w- I was going to say before you even said it, what did he show up in a private plane? <laughs> But a helicopter, that's even But, but I, I have to say, you can only admire him. Uh, the way he got into here, um, he kind of knew he was reserved in so, in, in, if something happened with Sam. So despite the team said he shouldn't prepare for the tour, he went on his own to Italy for two weeks, training towards the tour, even though there was he was not even on start list. I tell you, if you buy the book down here, you know the Panini book with the stickers in? He's not in, you know, yep. he's not even on a reserve list. He wasn't in the changing room when that book was made. And um, yeah, he went to Italy. He prepared himself. S- Sam's situation is a different story. But factum is that Sam, he got injured. We needed a sprinter. I feel just lucky that we had such a good substitute like Mark. Yeah, right. That's a good substitute to have. I mean, he's such a joker and he's so reliable, right? I mean, the pressure, where he come from, like last year he was about to retire, couldn't find a contract. Now he's back in a tour. Suddenly everybody talks the record. It's, it's amazing how he handles that. But I also must say, 
when you see him in interviews or even when you guys crossing the line because you know I'm commentating I see it he like he hugs everyone he gives like you know a fist bump to everyone he's so humble and and grateful like just to be there right and it, it's really good to see that you know sometimes there is honestly there is a happy end for people they deserve it they work hard they believe in it and he's one of these cases I believe right sure he he surely deserved this one I mean knowing how hard he worked and how hard he fought back, you know. Um, I mean, of course, you can always find guys who served a, a stage victory in the Tour de France. But, and, and I mean, I think nobody who already have 30 deserve another one. <laughs> but uh, he really, he really fighted his way back. Uh, he came in from far. Also, what I have to say now is very impressive is that with the, with the small preparation you have, like not being on altitude training camp like the rest of us not training in climbs he's doing pretty well i mean we we already passed the, the alps we are getting through the Pyrenees, but this is without a, a proper tour de france preparation so not only is he winning the sprints but he's going really good but but that's what i find so amazing and you know you're our guest i don't want to keep talking about cav but in this situation I mean, it seems like your job in that last 200 meters from 500 to 200 is super important. But then you're also having to stay with him and get him through the mountains. So what's done is done. He's tied the record. You had an amazing second place finish. How awesome is that, that he breaks the record and you, you, you finish second? But talk us through the next week because, you know, records are meant to be broken. And I know you guys have already won four stages. It's been an amazing Tour de France. But you got to be thinking about, you know, breaking the record. Talk us through what's going to happen these next couple days, especially stage 19 and ultimately stage 21. Well, man, first of all, I'm, I'm super proud to have a second place in the Tour de France stage, you know. It's the closest you can get to winning a stage yourself, which is an absolute dream for every single bike rider. And I just realized that I have a second place now, you know, after my own teammate. So this is something that I will always take with me as well, uh, as, as same as, as, as all the good uh, setups we're doing for, for CAF. Um, and yeah, you're right, man. I, actually, without knowing it, you should... I, w I would think that you did the Tour de France before, Bob, eh? because you, you kind of know how the race is going on. <laughs> uh, to deliver a sprinter is not just about the last uh, 1K in a sprint stage. It's 21 stages taking care of him, you know, like the last couple of stages here in the, in the mountains. We are always three, four guys together with him. We are having his bottles on our bikes to keep him as light as possible. I'm carrying gels for him. He When he needs a gel, he, I, I, I kind of squeeze it in his mouth, you know. Tim, Tim is carrying this uh, cold bottle and, and pouring cold water over him. I mean, he is, our, he is our guy. He is our main priority now. So we're going to do whatever it takes to get him through. And, and I truly believe, I said it on the fourth stage, if he gets to Paris, he wins the green jersey. That looks like, yeah, if he gets there... I'm pretty sure he gets that jersey. But uh, back to you. What I realized, we you know we see slow motions, helicopter views, and all that. I am absolutely blown away by your situation awareness. 
you always seem to know at every moment, even riding at 65 kilometers an hour, you always seem to know where's everybody else? Where is my man? Where are the others? How fast are they approaching? There's the corner. How do you absorb all these informations? Did you grow into it or you always had a talent to be multitasking? Because honestly, you seem to know exactly where everybody else is moving, not just you and your own teammates. Yeah, I mean, I, I I try to prepare as good as possible. So I spend a lot of time the days before, you know, on, on Google Maps, on, on VeloViewer, uh, on the roadbook um, to see where's the corners. Try to find old finishes from that. Uh, maybe there was a finish 10 years ago in the same city with the same run-in. Um, studying the other teams, which sprinters is here, which uh, support riders do they have, what is the tactic. So... Lotto Sudel, do they usually take a sprint from the front or do they usually try to stick behind us? All that kind of information, I'm just I'm just filling myself with it. And then when you go into the sprint, you just kind of have it like in uh, recorded. And then you, then I just navigate from there, you know. So if if I suddenly see, let's see, DSM is, is usually a team who will go quite early with quite a few strong guys. So if I see them, That's my move. That's where I want to follow, you know? You know, it's it's kind of like, uh, you know, the matrix, right? Like, unless you know how to decipher the matrix, you don't really see it. But, like, it's coming at you from so many different, different ways and that you can just, you know, hit download or pause or pivot and and always make the right decision. I mean, it's it's so, so amazing to watch. But let's talk a little bit more about, like, you and how you got started in cycling and you know let's talk a little bit about denmark and the danish cyclists that you guys are producing seems like you know out of a conveyor belt they're just popping out one after another um tell us a little bit about your 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 origin in the sport of cycling and you know what where, where'd you start we know where you are now but how did how did this all start in the first place yeah so my dad he was uh really much inspired by the six days the track racing so every year he went to the six days of Copenhagen to watch and when I had a certain age he he brought me with him and I was just sitting there alone with my dad watching this six days racing with these amazing riders this speed the the atmosphere the music and I just got <laughs> so much in love with uh with the six days and, the, and, and and the cycling and yeah then I asked my dad if I could have a bike and and I had to back him for a year or so um, before, uh, he, he let me get a bike. And when he bought me that bike, he said, I had to promise him that it's something that I, uh, would continue because otherwise he's not going to buy the bike. And I'm still today really proud to say that I'm still continuing my bike, my bike ride, even though that my, my dad, he passed away, uh, 14 years ago. So. Do you um, actually train with some of the Danish guys or you train by yourself or, or how do you handle that? You got like your little bike cycling community where you live or you like, nah, I see them every weekend. I need some time to rest or yeah, so you know, do you stay turned, connected with the other Danish cyclists? When I turned pro in 2009 with you guys, it was really like known that you just can't live in Denmark being a professional bike rider. It wasn't possible. So what I did was I moved to Luxembourg and I lived in Luxembourg for a few years. Afterwards, I was living in, in Lucca in Italy. 
Bob knows because uh, you was training me when I was living there, and um, and then uh, yeah, then then we got kids, my wife and I, and um, I, I realized that we need to have a better environment for kids to for family, so um, I said okay, we we pull everything up and and we get a good base in Copenhagen uh, where around grandparents and, and family. Um, that was back in 16. And that I never regretted, you know, when, when we moved back, I was kind of nervous that would be the end of my career. But um, I really developed after I went home back to Denmark. And basically I'm training on my own. Um, that was actually a question, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't have a big group of, of, uh, of professionals around me. And and to be honest, I also enjoy to do the trainings alone. You know, nowadays it's so specific. It's not just uh, riding five, six hours alone, but it's really a specific work. I used to track and balance a lot. I do a lot of uh, Danny training and speed training there, um, gym training. So um, yeah, days are full with family and training. I mean, I, I do remember. Um you know, right when you came to the team that you came with um, Alex Rasmussen and we were in the car ride on the way home and I knew right away, okay, this guy's the brains and this guy's the brawn (laughs) because you knew everything and was so uber intelligent and Alex, bless, bless him, did not have those skills. Like you had everything organized. You basically packed his suitcase. I mean, you guys were a team. So... Going from, you know, working with someone like him and working with Cav, um, always looking out for somebody else. With the Olympics coming up, are you, do you have any personal goals uh, at the Olympic Games this year? To win a gold medal in the Madison. Okay. Fantastic. So, so there, there is a flame of being number one on, because... I mean, you, you're so generous with your efforts. I mean, you just focus. We, we see it on, on the camera all the time. So talk us through what's going to happen now after Sunday and before the Olympics to, 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 to make that Olympic gold medal dream come true. What do you have to do? Yeah, so after we finish, uh, hopefully on Paris and on, on Sunday uh, with, a, with a very good Tour de France, um, I'll have 20 days before the Olympic Madison, which will be on the 7th of August. And I think for me, the Tour de France is just the best preparation I can have for that Madison race, you know. Uh, with 20 days in between, it gives me time to recover uh, after such a big tour. And it gives me time to, to get on the track, to, get some, to find some speed and, and some power on the legs again uh, in Copenhagen before traveling to Japan. We are currently engrossed in the Tour de France. And if you're looking to tackle your own double ascent of the Mont Ventoux, don't worry, Outside Plus has you covered. Bobby and myself are both members and get to enjoy training plans, exclusive gear discounts, entry to cycling events and more, including access to premium content from other outside publications like Velo News, Trail Runner, Yoga Journal, Backpacker and Peloton Magazine. All in all, it's $350 worth of value for just $99. But if you enter our special coupon code, Bobby Jens 25 at checkout, 
you will get another 25% off. Go to valuenews.com slash outside plus and enter Bobby Jens 25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout to receive our special 25% discount. And now back to our chat with Michael. Who is your partner for the Madison? I mean, you're just coming out of the Tour de France. I feel sorry. I pity the fool that is going to be your partner. But Mate, I, I didn't become world champion alone last year. I, I became world champion together with Lasse, Lasse Norman Hansen. You would know him. He's uh, actually Olympic champion on the Omium from 2012. Uh, he had bronze in the Omium in, in 16. He's a solid rider. He's, uh, he's riding professional with the uh, with Quebecer team. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we rode together already now. He was he was kind of the rider who took over after Alex, after Alex stopped uh, riding. So um, I was world champion once with Alex, and now I am with uh, with Lasse. And um, I really think we can uh, we can do something good at these Olympic Games. So do you find it hard to switch between road cycling, you know, lower frequency, longer distance, and the track? I mean, fixed gears. How long does it take you when you jump on your track bike? How long does it take you to feel at home? Five minutes? A day? Two days? Two seconds. Oh, wow. That's good. That's <laughs> easy for you then. Oh, fantastic. It, it, no, it feels really natural for me, but I think it's because I... I take it very seriously, so I, I do a lot of my training on the track, on my track bike. Um, I don't even use the same uh, crank length arms and stuff like that. You know, I have my track set up, I have my road set up. Um, so when I was younger, I remember that I was so much more careful about like same position all the time and same crank length and, and same with mountain bikes and all stuff like that. But with the years, I just realized, you know, like it's it's all just training and efforts, you know, and if I'm just used to riding on a track and I'm used to ride on the road, so I don't need much time, you know, I, I just switch over. So after the Olympics, are you going to head into your well-deserved rest and have some time with the family or your season keeps on going after that? Well, actually, I booked the first plane home Sunday morning uh, because the Tour of Denmark is starting already Tuesday. <sighs> And I haven't wow. done the, and I haven't done the tour of Denmark since 2015, so I'm also very happy to be participating in that one. Well, it would be good. Your wife and the kids can come. You got two children, right? I have two children, yeah, and uh, I'm looking very much forward for them to see me racing because, uh, as you know, it's not so often that that your kids get a chance to see you on work, actually. That would be good, and maybe they give you a chance. You be the number one sprinter there at your home race, right? That would be good. No, because I bring Kev. And, um... Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> He's everywhere. That's not good. Yeah, but you know, as long as I'm number one lead out, uh, he can go and take the flowers on the stage. I relax in the bus. That's good. That, that's a good point. Yes, you're right there. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Michael, have you seen the movie Talladega Nights? I mean, of course, right? No, I haven't seen that. No. Okay. Oh, bummer. Okay. We'll cut that part out then. <laughs> no, there's a part of it. So Talladega Nights is um, the story of Ricky Bobby, who's a famous pseudo uh, race car driver. And he has his buddy that always slingshots him to the win. And then one day he finally says, hey, Ricky Bobby, you know what would be really cool is if we flipped 
positions and you actually slung shot me to the lead, you know, I think you need to have a conversation like that with Mark up there in Denmark, you know, maybe even on the Shamazil. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, well, you know what? Actually, um, what, what? actually, the other day after that stage that he won, he came to me after the race and he said, for a split second, I, I really wanted to give you that victory. And, and he was doubting if he should. But I said to him, of course, you shouldn't. You know, you're on a record uh, hunt. You took your 31st, fourth victory. Um, we also ride for the green jersey. We ride the whole tour really hard for it. So he should, of course, take that stage to get the maximum points as well. Um, and I'm sure that if Mark ever again get the chance, could be in Tour of Denmark or even a, a, a smaller race, he will be more than happy to pay it back. And also to be very honest, and I don't know if it's uh, because of my age, but it doesn't mean much to me to to be the winner, actually. Of course, I would be super proud to get that little um, number on my um, on my frame, you know, when you have a stage win in the Tour de France or, or somewhere else. Um, but when I went to bed after winning a stage with CAF, I really feel I won the race. So I think it's all come down to the feeling that you have yourself and not whatever you find on pro cycling stats. That is so good to hear that you find your place, your happy place in life. That's that's how it should be. Not everybody manages, you know, in the pursuit of his career to find that place. But I'm so glad you find that place where you belong, where you're happy. That's that's really nice to know. That there was some really wise words actually. Yeah, thank you, Jens. I'm pretty sure that that looking at you, you was the same, right? Like. Uh, riding with CSC and, and afterwards with Trek, you was also the man of the team, you know? How many times didn't you just take took the whole team in your wheel in a crosswind, just didn't think about how to arrive at the finish line yourself, but just sacrifice yourself for the team and for the leaders? And I mean, I seen you guys doing that on television. You are also my inspiration. So, um, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's about finding that position. In the age of 25, probably you're still thinking about what if I could have won myself, you know. But at this point, I just feel proud when we win as a team. Well, you should. And you guys seem to win a lot. I mean, you guys are, are quite successful. But just to kind of loop back to the tour again and fanboy out a little bit. You know, we, we see what we see. We listen to what we listen to. But... From a guy like you being on the inside at the pointy end of these races, what has been like your takeaways so far from the Tour de France? I mean, at the first week it was like, oh, the crashes, then it was the sprints. But what has been like maybe that hardest moment for you so far in the in the Tour de France that if you're willing to share that with us? My takeaway is that we won five stages out of 15 so far. That's one out of yep. three. That's pretty good. <laughs> that's, that's my Yeah, takeaway. I think, yes. It's it's not shabby. Yeah, that's pretty good. Hey, Mike, um, got a little rebel, I got a little rebel question here for you. You didn't answer my question. Okay. I, 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 can, I can do it, but I, I mean, you know, it's the, the reason why I answer like that is because the shit days, I forget them. I don't remember them. I really, I have a, a talent to forget them. And I'm pretty sure that I learned it from uh, a big German that I also was once in a team <laughs> with. Just forgot these days, you know, the days where you just suffer in the mountain. I, I really don't record them. But the days where we win, 
that will stay in my memory forever. That's how it should be, right? That that's what guarantees you a long and happy career. Just erase the terrible days and focus on the good ones because they uh, give you positive motivation. Absolutely. I mean, I, I have so many colleagues and the friends who is like, we have a mountain date today. We know the time cut is tight. The race is going full gas. It's, it's, it looks like terrible. Maybe it's even raining. And we are going to, how the fuck we're going to make this time cut today? And then guys, they start to talk about that tomorrow, the time cut is even worse. And I'll be like, why would you even spend like 0% energy on what's coming tomorrow? You have to finish today first, you know? So it's really like, you know, you just break down. Uh, let's say we do a 15K climb. I do 1K at a time. I don't think about the 15K. I just pass 1K after 1K. And it's just about breaking it down and, and staying positive. Alrighty, can I ask my stupid question now? Bring it on. Alrighty. So now you have seen Buhani's out, Demar's out. Do you think if they would have been in your team, I mean, don't get me wrong, Kev is the absolute best sprinter in a moment, but do you think with Buhani in your team, would he have abandoned the Tour de France yet or would he also have already won a stage or two? The same for Arno Demar. I think he would have won a stage or two and still being in the Tour de France. Yeah, that's exactly how I see it as well. Yeah. And it, I think it goes for many riders. Uh, I see many riders around. I'm not going to mention any names, but I see many riders where I guess instead of winning three races a year, they would probably win 10 if they was on our team. But um, yeah, obviously there is not space for everybody in this team, but there's also not everybody who choose to be in this team. You know, obviously many riders choose not to be in this team. Um, but we have a very good team. We have a very good setup. You know, you know how it is when you ride and you always have uh, seven strong teammates around you who can always help you and 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 take a proper pull or or, or lead you out. You know, it, that's that's really our team. And it takes so much pressure of everyone. I mean, we had some days with the CSC teams back in the days where you go, okay, if I have a terrible day. There are still eight guys that can take over. Back in the days with nine riders, you have still eight strong riders. You go, takes a lot of pressure and, and the anxiousness, you know, uh, the fear gets away because, you know, okay, if I'm not 100%, the other ones, they are, and they can help me out. And tomorrow I help them out. That always helps, right? You lift your teammates back up when they feel down and they help you when you feel down. That That's how it works. And, and I feel so in incredibly lucky to, first of all, have... Uh, a big part of my career on the old CSC Saxobank team and now on this uh, uh, successful De Quick Quickstep team where I'm always surrounded by good friends, um, strong riders. Like just look at the lineup we have here in the Tour de France. Like there's not one rider who doesn't deserve the spot here, you know, like and you say one day one guy have a bad day uh, and And the other helps and next day is another one, you know, like we had Tim de Klerk, he had a very bad crash two days ago, you know, where people was falling over the over the cliffs. Um, he came up, uh, he didn't know how to how he finished that stage. He hurt his head really bad. And, and the last couple of days we had to take care of him as well as we had to take care of Kev. But now he's he's slowly getting better. Uh, and I'm sure after the rest day today, he will be back to 
the tracks that we know tomorrow and he's very important for us so yeah it's all about having a, a united team with a good spirit yeah you've definitely uh hit gold twice i mean you got to experience what it was like at csc and then you know here uh, to coin a quick step but you know we know it's the rest day of the tour de france we thank you so much for coming on uh, we know it's getting late there we don't want you to to mess with your recovery but final question from me how many stages will cav win by the time that we get to paris on sunday i hope he win on Champs-Élysées. stage 19 gonna be difficult because um due to all the abandoned sprinters we are more or less the only real sprinter team left so it also means that if we want to sprint on the stage 19 we we're gonna do the whole whole job so um we have to see how that stage unfold but it could might as well be a breakaway fantastic thanks for your time michael so good to see you to yeah, talk with you and thanks for all the nice and honest answers it was fantastic so we let you go back to sleep hey um Please pass my best wishes to Tim DeClerc because he, you know, he's always in the front and it's so hard to see him suffering like that. So I hope he is better because I really, I do feel for him. Uh, he, he's better. He's better. And um, uh, he's a fantastic teammate. You can see that with all the, all the minutes you've been watching on the television, you, you've seen how, what a great teammate he is. And, 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 you know, you never see him at the finish line. But he's the one who makes sure that we arrive in the sprint every time, you know? So we just have the, the, the team for it. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Well, regardless what happens this next week, you guys have accomplished something amazing. And um, that goes down to hard work. That goes down to morale. I think that's what we were getting at a little bit about there. And I'm just so happy that you found that uh, again and that you're as, as successful as you are. Be safe, have fun, and you know who knows? There just may be a record at the end of the rainbow for you guys, and uh, we're all pulling for you to make it and, and hope that it happens. So thanks again for coming on, and hopefully we'll be able to watch you in the Olympics uh, get that Olympic gold medal, that, that, that coveted gold medal from the Tokyo Games in 2021. Thank you very much, guys. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Huge thank you to Michael Marco for joining us on the rest day and being our guest. Thanks for listening and please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show is a Velo News production in association with Shocked Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne. And this episode was edited by Tim Moza. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. Whether it's riding with new people you met on the platform or just riding with old teammates, the people that Zwift connects you with push you harder than you could ever push yourself let alone when it's just you on the trainer in your garage or pain cave. My next favorite part is the training. Training is a huge part of Zwift. There are literally hundreds of customizable training plans you can choose from. And every workout is an immersive experience that can take you from Zwift's world-class climbs to the streets of London, New York, 
or even to a new Japanese-inspired world. Those are just a few of the nine unique worlds you can explore. Many times, I find myself just riding around, checking out the sites and seeing new little Easter eggs they've hidden in the game. When I'm riding one of the UCI championship courses or in the jungle on the gravel roads or inside a volcano, hey, I'm just taking it all in. Time seems to fly by, but I can still manage to get a great workout in every time. If you want to compete in races that put your training to the test and see if you're headed in the right direction, you can. There's a new event starting every five minutes, including massive group rides, races for every category, and even time trials. Right now, you can join the Fun is Fast event series with training rides, races, and thousands of other riders from around the world to chase. It's really never been easier to find your fun training indoors. I love it. All you need to get started is a bike, a trainer, and the Zwift app. Get a free seven-day trial, no strings attached, at Zwift.com. Zwift, where fun is fast.